Amanda Dallahair. And on this episode of Reclaiming the Garden, we are talking about finding LGBTQ identity in the Bible. Um, obviously, you know, the words that we use today are not the way that gender or sexuality was understood uh, during the times in which the Bible was written, the culture in which those events took place. Um, mm-hmm. But what we can do, you know, is we can look at, um, look at from what we see in the text and we can see that there are people who are going against the um, the gender and sexual norms of the time. Uh, and so we can kind of see that through the lens of queer theology is like these people, you know, are, are queer ancestors or transcestors. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so, I'm so excited to be able to chat about this because as we usually ask when we're doing these deep dive episodes is what were we taught in church about insert thing here? Nothing. <laughs> We were not given any kind of lens in which to see these people as anything other than straight, cis, and such. So. Yes. And American in some cases. Really? <laughs> no. <I'm> not... <laughs> I mean, you know, whitewashed, sure. but Definitely yeah. whitewashed. Um, yeah. I mean, I didn't even know that, like, you know, everyone, you know, in the queer community talks about David and Jonathan as a couple. And it's like... Uh, you know, I didn't even know Jonathan as a Bible character at all, anything about him until I started learning queer theology, you know, like, yeah. I feel like whenever, yeah, my kind of memories of like, whenever there were sermons on Old Testament passages are kind of vague, except of course, for uh, talking about Ruth in the most aggressively heterosexual ways you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. And as we've mentioned before, there are a lot of misconceptions about the Ruth and Naomi story. Um and so it's just another an, another like layer to add of, oh, other potential theories about this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I guess we can probably get started with, um, you know, breaking down. Let's talk about Ruth and Naomi. Um, so, I mean, there is always that weird thing where it's like, it's mother-in-law. But I mean, you know, they're not related. And like, really, when you look at it, when you look at like the love confession that like Ruth gives to Naomi. Oh, I should also, sorry, I always get into this and then I'm like, oh wait, I should probably give context to people who are not necessarily familiar with the story. <laughs> um, so uh, Ruth is a foreigner woman who marries into, I believe it's one of the tribes of Israel. I'm forgetting which one. Um, but then like, I think both of her, like she she has like two husbands die, doesn't she? Or I forget exactly. Um, So basically, long story short, uh, Naomi has two sons. um, And so she has two sons. There's Malon and Chilion. And they emigrated to the nearby country of Moab. Um, And then when Naomi's husband died, the sons marries two Moabite women, uh, one of whom is Ruth. Um, So... About 10 years later, two sons of Naomi also die in Moab, and Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem. So both of her sons, both of Naomi's sons die, mm-hmm. um, one of which happens to be um, Ruth's husband. Um, mm-hmm. And the other wife, who was Orpah, uh, reluctantly, yeah, yes, right? he ends yeah. up leaving, but Ruth ends up staying with her and says, do not urge me to leave you to turn back and not follow you for wherever you go. I will go wherever you lodge. I will lodge your people shall be my people and your God, my God, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried thus and more may the Lord do to me. If anything, but death parts me from you. 
And that Which is they use marriage ceremonies. That really big like declaration of love is used in marriage ceremonies. So it's like, uh, are y'all just not y'all not gonna talk about that? Yeah, till death do us part. <laughs> yeah, um, basically. What's interesting is some other things that um, I recently watched a video by that theology teacher on YouTube. He's a Catholic theologian who talks a lot about Christianity. It's super cool. Um, and he um, he talks about some details that I kind of never noticed that like, you know, they're they're they you know, he has this interpretation that they're a lesbian couple who's trying to like make things work in the culture of their time. And so then like Naomi comes up with this plan like, hey, you're going to you're going to seduce Boaz so that you can so that you can get you know more money and status in society and get a child yes. um and then it says actually in the bible that people are rejoicing that a child has been born to naomi like it is considered to be from Ni- naomi's line because yeah. of ruth having been you know married into naomi's family uh but it's also the kind of this like theory that like oh like that Boaz is the provided the sperm donation for this lesbian couple. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool. I didn't think about that before. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then according to um, qspirit.net, um, it basically, there's a whole article called Ruth and Naomi, biblical women who loved each other. And I absolutely uh, yeah, and it says Ruth's famous vows to Naomi are often used in weddings, heterosexual, as well as same-sex marriages. Few people realize that these beautifully spoken promises were originally spoken by one woman to another, which I didn't put two and two together with that. Hmm. But as I was reading through it just now, it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just wouldn't say that to a platonic friend. Yeah. No matter how much I love them. <laughs> No, yeah. So uh, Ruth and Naomi, lesbian couple confirmed. <laughs> yes. And now we get on to our next big uh, couple, the kind of uh, gay gay male version of it, um, David and Jonathan. So yes. um, if you could bring up some of the actual like verses in which this is happening. Uh, for context, everyone, um, I'm recording this uh, during a time where I lost my phone on the bus yesterday and I'm still figuring out how the hell to get it back. So I didn't quite come as prepared as I should have. Thankfully, I yes. really know a lot about this shit. But, yes, April's uh, a real champ. <laughs> um, yeah, so I see. Uh, so there's a, a quote that is, your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women, which David says in a famous lament for Jonathan, could you um, list the verse numbers? Huh? The, the like, could you list the book in verse numbers? And stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's mostly found in Samuel, um, first and second Samuel. Um let's see, and it's it's second Samuel 126, where it says, David loved Jonathan more than women. Mm-hmm. And apparently there is a billboard called for a website called WouldJesusDiscriminate.com. And they posted these billboards that said David loved Jonathan more than women with that verse. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, like that my love for you surpasses that of my love for women. And like it's just it's so and they have yeah. like they have a ceremony where they like covenant their relationships with one another or something. I'm forgetting exactly what it is, but it's like they kind of have a little wedding. <laughs> Yeah, and um, so also as I'm reading, there was a 16th century Spanish mystic, John of the Cross, um, 
who used their love as a model for divine love and said the love Jonathan bore for David was so intimate that it knitted his soul to David's. If the love of one man for another was that strong, what will be the tie that caused the tie caused through the soul's love for God, the bridegroom. So like, Mm -hmm. it's so interesting that that was like still recognized as a very divine sort of love. Mm -hmm. Like even before like there was kind of the concept of queer theology. yeah and then like when jonathan dies david like mourns you know the death and yeah. is very yes um, oh and i did find the the commitment oh, ceremony also, wait, i should also say actually i said gay male couple david is probably by because david's also chaotic and kind of a dick sometimes you know <laughs> he raped a woman i should probably say that yeah david's like not the pinnacle of amazing awesomeness but yeah chaotic bisexual Mm -hmm. um but i did find the uh covenant that they made which was in first samuel 18 3 through 4 which is then jonathan made a covenant with david because he loved him as his own soul jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was wearing and gave it to david and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt um so that was the covenant made and there's also an illustration Yeah, there's an illustration from 1300, which I am going to put in the Instagram that I will show you. Mm. Yeah. Oh my god, that's just the, like them hugging and shit. <laughs> wow. Yeah, very, very close. <laughs> but they were just friends, right? Okay, so what's funny is that in my Hebrew Bible class, they showed like a children's ministry video rela- relating some of the story. And it was like, they were just really good pals. <laughs> oh my god. or you know the whole history will say that they were roommates yeah oh dear no yeah so that is that is that story um and so as long as we're kind of still in some parts of the old testament um let's talk about eunuchs um which are i would say a form of um gender diverse gender minority people um at that time um, so most of these people, I guess, were servants to, uh, in the royal court, right? And mm-hmm. in order to be servants in the royal court, I guess, as a male, you had to be castrated in order to, um, make sure that you would not be, uh, having sex with, like, the wife of the king or, like, other people, I guess, in the royal court. Yeah. Uh, so that you could focus on your duties. Um, and this meant that, um, according to, I believe, laws in either Deuteronomy or Leviticus, it meant that you could not enter the house of worship um if you're right. you know test- I, basically like if your testicles are crushed you you can't uh, yeah so, yeah and the thing is like we don't entirely know like when eunuchs when it's mentioned that eunuchs are in the bible like we don't it, eunuchs could be a variety of different mm-hmm. someone could become a eunuch in a variety of different ways either they were born a certain way or they chose to become eunuchs or they were forced to become eunuchs but regardless they were kind of seen as again as kind of subhuman in a way because they Hmm. couldn't they couldn't really fit into either gender binary yeah and what yeah that was interesting to think about like it also could count as people who were born with not normal genitalia because that would you know kind of enter into like a kind of intersex understanding Mm -hmm. of some eunuchs in the bible yeah because i think as we've talked about before is that genesis is very binary like when it really doesn't need to be like the, the like God created day and night, but it also doesn't account for dawn and dusk. Mm-hmm. Like 
God created male and female does not account for people that don't fit into that category, either physiologically or people with gender dysphoria. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. like, just cause it is not explicitly mentioned does not mean that it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, cause then we'd also have to say things like dawn and dusk don't exist or marshes and estuaries don't exist. Like, or platypus don't exist. Um, cause they're just all the things. Um, so it's just very, yeah, I think, yeah, we've discussed it before. It's very interesting that that's always kind of glossed over in terms of gender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so you have, I guess, some, particularly in the Old Testament mentions of, of various eunuchs who are servants of usually, it's usually in the context of like serving the royal court. But, um, and also other, another example of um, uh, gender expansiveness in uh, the Old Testament is Joseph. Yes. And, you know, the color dream coat, or as that theology teacher refers to it, the princess dress. Um, yes. Also, I did learn about this um, in Austin Hartke's workshop at QCF in 2021. And the first time I heard it, it blew my mind because mm-hmm. I never, I never knew about that translation before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's interesting to think about how, like, um, I mean, I I really want to just mostly refer people to that theology teacher's video on this. It's called Queer Bible Figures, Joseph in the Princess Dress. And he talks about kind of this whole interpretation of Joseph being trans and uh, bullied by his siblings because of it. And, you know, his journey of um, like going and working for the emperor and then having a kind of a coming out to his brothers as as part of like the end of the story. So. Yeah. 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 Do you have any other thoughts about it? It's like, I think it almost makes the story even more profound because like, there's never really like, obviously like Joseph's brothers are really jealous. Like he has a dream of the, of the, um, the bales of hay or the straw bales, like bowing to him. Like, no one throws their brother into a hole because they're jealous of him, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, so in a way, like the idea that Joseph could have potentially been gender expansive um, with his princess dress, which one is given to him by his father. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that would be a very pure act of love in that case. But it also kind of adds to it of him having been kind of ousted by his family, by his brothers. And mm-hmm. as I think, unfortunately mirrors a lot of the queer and trans experience mm-hmm. and i think it, Today, it kind yeah. of gives it a deeper meaning in a way mm-hmm. yeah um oh do you want to talk about daniel and the chief eunuch because you're the one who found that yeah so this is one i really didn't even know about and again um so it's daniel it's so it's an article called daniel and the three young men god rescues biblical eunuchs affirming lgbtq people of faith um so some see the prophet Daniel and the chief eunuch, um, and if I pronounce this, um, we'll figure it out later, but it's Ashpenaz, A-S-H-P-E-N-A-Z, as a same-sex couple in a hotly contested translation. The Bible describes the favor and tender love that he bestowed on Daniel. Um, also, it is kind of assumed that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, also known as Rakshak and Benny, if you grew up on the VeggieTales version, <laughs> um, yeah. yes, could have potentially been eunuchs as well um, be- because they were thrown into a fiery furnace, but Christ bigger like a son of God prevents them from burning. Um, so it's just kind of going into different 
potential eunuchs. Um, so the Bible strongly implies that Daniel was a eunuch without saying so. Oh, Daniel was also a eunuch as well, or without saying so directly. I'm, I'm finding all of this out as we go, just so we're clear. Uh, he and three young men, the three young men were under the authority Ashpenaz, the chief of the eunuchs um, in the King Nebuchadnezzar's court. Um, so they were in the king's court. And as we mentioned, like mostly eunuchs were hired to work mm-hmm. under the courts of royalty. Um, so I feel like that is another aspect of that too. Like it just kind of gives it another, like, oh, like another, just another way to look at it in a way. And the Bible describes, yeah, the Bible describes them as slaves in Babylon at a time when the castration of slaves was common. Um, and in contemporary usage, a eunuch is a castrated man, but it had a broader definition in ancient times as we were talking. So it is very, there is a lot of potential for uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they were eunuchs and worked under a chief eunuch in that, during that time. And Daniel was a powerful prophet who yeah. was used by God and like was able to kind of see the presence of God inside a furnace. Like, and so it's yeah. like, you're going to say that, you know, trans people can't be prophets? Like, yeah. He also has his own book. So, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. very, very important. Mm-hmm. And again, looking even at like Joseph and the lineage, like Joseph's lineage as well, it's like that's a very important lineage in the Bible. And the fact that there is the potential that he could have been gender expansive is like, yeah, the stories are very important. Like, trans people. Yeah. are divine also, and there is yeah um, speaking of lineage also you know ruth is in the uh l- the genealogy of jesus yes so, like, one of the speaking f- couple is in the genealogy of jesus <laughs> yes and she is one of the very few women to actually be included in the genealogy of jesus mm-hmm. as well the other being rahab who was a sex worker mm-hmm. and i think the other being tamar who has a whole crate like her whole story's nuts. Oh, yeah. But, like... <laughs> she, like, gets pregnant from her, yeah, her, like, father or father-in-law. From right? her father-in-law. And she's like, you can't kill me because now, like... Otherwise, I'm gonna spill your beans, like... <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. And then, anyway. of course, like, Mary... And then, of course, Mary is the other woman mentioned. And I believe it's just those four, if I recall mm-hmm. correctly. Mm-hmm. So what does this mean is that women in the Bible who might have been very much looked down upon society were always important to the Jesus story. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like also for like a whole other episode, maybe women in the Bible part two, but it's. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so kind of wrapping up, I guess our section talking about um, the Hebrew Bible, um, Let's see. Um, in Isaiah 56, there is a kind of passage about um, about eunuchs and God saying that, like, uh, I'm going to give you a name like better than sons and daughters, which I feel like is kind of being fulfilled today, like with the kind of terms that we have to describe gender identity. Yeah. Um, and in a way, like, again, it's just knowing how many people like how many people that we've met honestly who don't subscribe to either gender binary Mm -hmm. um who 
are living out these christ-like existences it's like mm -hmm. and just like like such it, joy you know you yeah. see our lauren dempster who i didn't how was did you go to to their um workshop on dance or i wasn't able to i had a meeting but um i did get to spend the entire day with them last oh, tuesday cool. taking them around la so that was very fun um always meet your internet friends um, mm -hmm. safely but like always meet your internet friends because it was awesome to get to know Lauren better nice cool um so going into the New Testament um we've got all of the queer interpretations of Jesus because honestly like if you look up any any letter in LGBTQIA plus like you can see an interpretation of people seeing Jesus in um in that way yeah I mean, maybe not so maybe not so much as lesbian but i feel like there is the idea of i mean there is the jesus idea can of, be an honorary lesbian like I mean, let's see i mean there is like the concept of like krista like jesus coming back as like female kind of thing i don't know please explain this further um let me see i feel like i just i haven't really i just okay i guess it's more of a it's not necessarily a deep theological thing, but it looks like often images of Jesus represented as a woman is called the Krista. Ooh. So. Interesting. Yeah. And of course, like, depending on who you ask, there are so many different um, opinions on Jesus' sexuality. Um, one of which that is always brought up is the disciple whom Jesus loved um yeah so in the book of john it mentions it's actually only i think at the last supper that this character is brought up for the first time yeah um, and then he like suddenly starts to appear a lot particularly at the cross and um and that kind of thing and so there is this interpretation that it's like jesus's partner jesus's lover um yeah yeah and then the, also some people wonder if it is actually the writer john himself saying that so it's like, yeah, like the disciple who Jesus loved me, which I think would be so funny. It's like, yeah, I'm going to call myself that. But again, it's, you never know. Like it's, it's never, it's again, yeah. only ever mentioned I mean, in John. It could be, yeah. And it could be like interpreted again in, um, in the video uh, by that theology teacher about, um, I believe it's called uh, five, five, five Bible couples you never thought were gay um and so he talks about how like this is kind of jesus coming out because he knows that his life is coming to an end and he doesn't have to be afraid of showing off his relationship anymore and yeah. he, makes sure, he makes sure that this disciple you know the disciple that jesus loved he calls him while he's on the cross and he's like um and and, and along with his mo mother mary and he's like now you know you take care of him this is your son now mm -hmm. um yeah, and then other um, people who could potentially be the disciple Jesus loved is Lazarus is one that is said mm. often because uh, his sisters say um, in John eleven three, um, therefore his sisters scary. sent unto him yeah. saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Mm -hmm. So that could potentially have been a disciple whom Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved, mm -hmm. could have potentially been Lazarus. Some people say Mary Magdalene as well, but that also goes into the whole other thing of why are there no female disciples mentioned? Hmm, I wonder why. Mm -hmm. 
like not like not like Jesus also traveled with a posse of women like it's mm-hmm. right yeah um yeah and it's also interesting to think about of course there's the concept that like Jesus was uh, asexual or aromantic because I mean in a time where it was very bizarre for him as a rabbi to not be married and not you know have any to just yeah to not have not, to not be married to not have children and to actually mostly just live his life with like a bunch of 12 dudes and a lot of women just kind of traveling around the countryside you know that was a very alternative lifestyle uh, yeah. To live. um yeah it's actually like pretty um pretty incredible like it's kind of cool to be able to look and be like oh like this could have meant this thing or this potentially means this thing and it's like yeah um, I know that one quick side story I will give is there is a TikTok person who I believe goes by they, them pronouns at this point. They were going by he, him pronouns um, when I had made the response video, but they made a video basically asking the question, was Jesus gay? And also kind of going into the fact that Jesus was a rabbi and being an unmarried rabbi was like really uncommon. Mm-hmm. And I made a response to it agreeing, like hundred percent agreeing, but also with the notion that Jesus' sexuality doesn't matter because what mattered was the message and like, mm-hmm. who cares? And, um, oh my gosh, I got so much hate for that. I was like, I didn't, first of all, it's only be like Jesus being gay is quote unquote bad to say if you think being gay is bad and if you think being gay is bad like you have some more deep-seated issues you need to work through but also it's like what's wrong with saying like it legitimately does not matter because what mattered was the message doesn't matter who the messenger is i think i i I agree and i also think that like i think that it still matters to like consider these interpretations because it's like we have we have this like you know god who can be interpreted in many like different ways to be to include all sorts of sexualities and gender identity and I think that is really cool you know it's not central to the message but it's still really cool yeah absolutely and if anything I think that speculation makes the message even greater because again if Jesus was someone who was kind of ousted by society who has this message of um love and fighting for the uh marginalized it like again makes the story a lot more powerful um yeah and it's just also it's so interesting because I feel like that same energy also exists for people that say Jesus was heterosexual because they're like no Jesus wasn't gay I'm like okay prove it was he straight is there proof for that in the bible right there is no evidence that he was married or that he had any sexual relations with anyone no yeah like you can't prove that um also and another interesting thing talking about Jesus even as a gender diverse person um the people have thought speculated that scientifically um someone born of a virgin would have to be intersex in some way because the because of the chromosomal you know because of only having chromosomes from the mother that kind of thing um so that's interesting yeah right like (laughs) i like that (laughs) that is so fast it's like again like the possibilities are truly endless um because again it doesn't matter I think it makes the story like even more powerful but it doesn't take away from the story you Mm -hmm. know which is just like ah um yeah because 
there's no, although there's no rabbinic tradition of celibacy, Jesus could well have chosen to refrain from sexual activity, whether he was gay or not. Many Christians will wish to assume it, but I see no theological need to. Uh, this is an article from The Guardian from mm-hmm. Pastor Paul Ostreicher. It is spelled O-E-S-T-R-E-I-C-H-E-R. I am just trying to say it the way it sounds. Um but this was something that this pastor had preached on. And I think it, again, it kind of goes into the, again, kind of goes into that sort of midrash in a way of like, oh, like what, what if this thing, like, I just think that's really cool. Yes. Um, and there is another um, character in the New Testament who we could probably today consider to be um, gender expansive. I'm just going to look up the, text here right now um the ethiopian eunuch um Mm -hmm. which is in the book of acts uh chapter eight uh i'm just gonna honestly let's see read most of the passage because i think it's so powerful um so uh chapter eight verses 26 through 40 then an angel of the lord said to philip get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from jerusalem to gaza this is a wilderness road so he got up and went now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to the, this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with the scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, no more and went on his way, rejoicing. Um, so, yeah. I love that so much. I love <laughs> yeah. that whole passage. Because yeah. again, like, in, like, at least in Sunday school or youth group, you're taught this story but you're not taught you're what not a eunuch is. Yeah. Like right? You're, you're just like, like, oh, hey, here's Philip doing the good thing evangelizing to... The Ethiopian you know, eunuch. Yeah. And it's like, what's a eunuch? And then it's like, don't ask dumb questions. Not that anyone <laughs> actually said that. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. But also, it's like, you're never really taught what that is. And it makes the story so much more powerful than, you know... Uh, yeah, because just, specifically yeah. the question, what is to prevent me from being baptized? Technically, um... um you know, Philip, who was raised in this culture, he knows the law. He knows that people who are castrated cannot enter the temple, cannot participate in religious life. And he's like, screw all that. I'm going to baptize you. Like, you know, it represents mm-hmm. an opening of the kingdom of God to to all people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also specifically, what's interesting is that it does say that he was reading Isaiah. And we just read that verse in Isaiah talking about eunuchs giving being given names better than sons and daughters like he probably read that too and like 
And also what's interesting is that, you know, he's just in this position of like a lot of power, you know, a treasury for like royalty. And so it's just, it's great to see like a gender expensive person who's in this, who's in this like place of, um, of power and, um, and then is able to uh, gain inclusion in religious, religious life as well. So. Yeah, it's, it's so good. Like it's, yeah, because Philip totally could have said, he's like, oh, well, th- these verses in like the law are actually going to prevent you from being baptized. Sorry. But he didn't. He didn't do that. And we shouldn't do that either. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Also, just the fact that the Ethiopian eunuch is just like, like when he, when he, when they're like, oh, like I want to be baptized. Like, it's like, oh, there's like a river right there. Like, why don't we just do this now? Like, mm-hmm. and I think that's also kind of been seen as a um, testament to this person's faith was that they were mm-hmm. just willing to completely dive in mm-hmm. like immediately. And mm-hmm. that, and again, the fact that that particular story and that particular narrative is told regarding a eunuch, again, makes it more powerful that it's like anyone can inherit the kingdom and that even people who are considered like subhuman or people that are considered like not quote unquote not normal like they are also beloved children of of Mm -hmm. god and in some cases are much more willing to take that to take the plunge um as it were Mm -hmm. and again kind of the notion that faith doesn't belong to one group of people or quote unquote Mm -hmm. the like yeah, because there's also, like, people. racial diversity here as well, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You know. mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's honestly all that's on my list. Did you have any other folks you wanted to talk? Oh, well, I'll wait. Okay, there is Jesus' teaching about eunuchs. Um, that's very interesting, you know. Mm-hmm. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can't accept this should accept it. So Jesus is saying, you know, there are people for whatever reason are not. Yeah, and also like there there are people who, you know, for whatever reason don't fit this gender binary that y'all y'all have and you just need to like accept those people because for various different reasons, that's just how they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Born this hashtag born this way. And again, I think I've talked about um I was in like a queer we called the group queer gal pals um, and mm-hmm. we would talk about the Bible and um, being queer and, you know, like that whole sort of thing. Um, and one thing that was kind of always brought up is like when people say that like queer people can't be Christians or can't inherit the kingdom or anything like that. It's that notion of like, are you seriously limiting an unlimited God? Like mm-hmm. to say that like. Who is ultimately group- creative? Like who is the most creative person ever like (laughs) right and it's that notion of like like god created all these different sexualities god created all the the potential for all these different genders and we're still learning and discovering them and to say that Mm -hmm. that um a person is a mistake would be limiting the creativity of an unlimited god which i don't know seems blasphemous also, you know, there's this whole argument that it's like, oh, well, all the sexuality stuff is so new. Like, people are just creating this and, like, it's just a trend. And it's like, no, if you look at the Bible, you see difference in, in gender identity. You see difference in 
in sexuality and the way that people have relationships, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that just makes me so, like, again, it's, if anything, it kind of makes my connection to God a lot stronger because it's like, oh, wow, like, look at all of these amazing possibilities that have been created that aren't limited to Mm -hmm. whatever the knowledge of the Bible writers were at the time. Mm -hmm. Like, we see that changing, like, again, like, from Hebrew Bible and Levitical law to the New Testament, we see that change happening. So it's very interesting Mm -hmm. to me when people are like, no, like, this is how it's always been. Adam and Eve, male and female. It's like, yeah. No, like these changes have been happening even through the Bible. Have you read the Bible? Like, right. <laughs> don't call um, unclean what God has made clean. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, I guess unless you have any other kind of people to bring up. And also, um, if any of y'all think that like there's anything we missed, please let us know. We love to continue the conversation. Yeah, and absolutely. And it'd be also very interesting to see, like, in a few years, as you know, there are more queer people that are in ministry and just people who are willing to ask these questions, if more people could potentially come up in this Mm -hmm. to be like, oh, like, what of this person or this person could have potentially been this one? Like, it's Mm -hmm. like, it's a great time for queer theology. Yeah, it's like we're kind of all going on sort of this limited knowledge um, because historically speaking, the queers and the church, capital C church, never, you know, not really getting along too well, never have. Um, But I think as there is a lot, I think there's, I don't think that there are more queer Christians and more queer theologians. I just think there's a lot more visibility now. Yeah, like there's there's Transmission Ministry Collective. I wanted to mention Um, it's run by, um, well, Austin Hartkey is a part of the, I know, staff at Transmission Ministry Collective. And they have a huge like resources page of like, I mean, I was surprised there's a there's a list of like um, theology books written by trans people. Um, (laughs) And I was like, oh, wow, like this is so cool that there are this many like theology books at this point that are written by trans people instead of just allies writing about it. Yeah, absolutely. And then just even again, like Kevin Garcia's book, um, Bad Theology Kills, like Mm -hmm. they are gender queer, gender queer. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I was going to say gender queer, gender fluid, but Mm -hmm. they use all they use all pronouns, um, I guess. Um, But yeah, even reading about their experience growing up in a very, very conservative church environment and just seeing who they have become today and are now kind of this beacon in the deconstruction community. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess with that, do you want to go into high of the week? Yeah, sure. This is a short episode. I'm looking at the time. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I feel like we've exhausted all that we currently understand and I think so too. Yeah. Like there's not much, like, unless we started really like going, what about this person it would be like I, I, again we're just kind of sharing the knowledge that we have knowledge and that we to continue research. the conversation so yes absolutely and again who knows in a few years maybe we'll be making a part two episode to this um because we just know things we know more things um but yeah i guess to go into high of the week um this hasn't happened yet it's happening in a few days but i'm going to milwaukee to meet some people from QCF, uh, from the Cinnabon Facebook group, um, which is basically women, femme-identifying, non-binary 
humans and we have been chatting and we're all getting an Airbnb and it's going to be super fun. Um, again, meet your internet friends because um, mm-hmm. internet friends are awesome. Uh, also, how did the Key Worship Weekend go? Give us a little Oh update. my gosh, it was amazing. It was so, it was hectic because it's also like having to run a conference for the first time. But the way I see it too, it's also like next year we can say, we've done this before. So it'll be a lot easier. And I think we really couldn't have done it without the help and the volunteers. Like we got to use Jess's church that they work at and they had people from their church, like including like the main pastor helping out with a lot of stuff and teaching workshops and helping with music. And it was pretty amazing, like how many people were willing to kind of put this volunteer work in. And I don't think it would have happened without them. So uh, people who volunteered at uh, Key Worship Weekend, if you're listening to this, um, thank you so much for everything that you did, um, because this weekend would not have happened without everyone pitching in. Um, Also got to teach my podcast workshop. That was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, I kind of ran out of stuff to say about 45 minutes in. And then I was like, cool, let's just talk about podcast stuff now. And let's talk about our favorite podcasts and theology. And it was a great time. Um, But yeah, it went really well. It was really successful. And it was amazing how many people flew in from other states to Mm -hmm. be there, especially for, again, especially for a first time conference where it's like, Mm -hmm. let's see how this goes. Um, We had like, like Lauren coming in from Massachusetts. We had someone coming in from Virginia. We had someone coming in from like, I believe Minnesota. Like we just had people coming in from all over and it was Again, it was just really, really cool just to see how well all of it came together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, I guess high of the week for me, um, just, you know, being able to like settle in in Seattle now and to be able yeah. to have some amazing Seattle fair. So um, mm. I don't, I think you actually, so I think you might have one of these in your area, but in Seattle, we also have salt and straw. It's an ice cream yes. place. Yeah. And so I got the new harvest fall flavors, which included I, I got two scoops. I got the uh spiced goat cheese pumpkin pie. Uh, and then the uh the beecher cheese apple cinnamon rolls. Um and oh, so what's it what's interesting about salt and straw? I mean, part of why they have salt in the name is they like include savory flavors in their ice cream. And I think yes. it honestly really works. Also, like, like people that are listening that might be wigged out by a savory flavored ice cream, do not knock it till you try it. Um yeah. it's really good. <laughs> like I think I got one with like rosemary in it before, and I was like, this is mm-hmm. magical. This is so good. Well, honestly, I really liked the the spiced goat cheese one because you could taste the goat cheese, but it was like you know, it was really, it worked. It worked so well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that makes me so happy. I'm so also very glad that you've gotten to experience uh, Salt and Straw because it started in Portland and now there are quite a few locations um, in LA, but it's like, oh, cool. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. It's in Seattle too. And I got, of course, my favorite cafe, Chocolati, which has the most amazing hot chocolate. Yes. Uh, recently tried out Zeke's Pizza, which is a Seattle-based chain. Um, also, I don't think this was mentioned in the last episode, but someone got a job. Oh, yes. I got a job at Trader Joe's. I get 20% off at my favorite grocery store, which is great as a grad student to get discount on yes. the groceries. Oh, that's so <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone there is really nice. So, yeah. 
Um, awesome. And of course, next week I start grad school. We're both going to be officially grad students at the same time. That's ah! amazing. That is nuts. But it's amazing. <laughs> it's also weird to say, like, I am now 25% done with my grad school journey. I'm like, this is happening so quickly. But yeah, so um, for a little bit, at least until the new year, not as many research heavy episodes, just because we're going to have to be researching a lot of stuff. Yeah. Lots of (laughs) other things that count as grades. Um, But I I think once we both kind of get our footing going, especially with grad school and having to figure that out, um, we will be back with some more research based episodes. But we have a lot of fun episodes in store as well. Yes, really cool guests um, for the fall um, and um, also some cool collaborations. So, yes, very, very excited. Okay, um, so I guess we'll see you in our next episode, which is with Anna's friend, uh, Carrie Seymour. Yeah, I'm so Uh, excited for this episode to drop. Um, But yeah, uh, it'll be awesome. And we can't wait for you all to hear it. And I guess until then, on to the plug. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Reclaiming the Garden. You can follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Reclaiming the Garden or on Twitter at RT Garden Podcast. Be sure to check out our Patreon for exclusive episodes, and you can always check out our merch store to get t-shirts, mugs, and other fun merchandise. If you are able to, please be sure to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as it does boost us in the algorithm, but we are grateful that you are here and listening, so if that's all you can do, We appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you soon.